Surprise, surprise! Today is a double feature. This is Charlotte from Evidence for Faith. Welcome back to the podcast. If this is the first episode you're listening to, well, welcome to today's bonus podcast. We have a different series that plays on Tuesdays and on Fridays. And on Tuesdays now, we are doing the Archaeology of Daniel. And today's theme has been looking at the skeptics and the criticisms against the book of Daniel and why this book is being attacked. So, I'm just going to do my quick little ad here. If you enjoy what we're doing, if you enjoyed the archaeology, since this is all archaeology theme, just as a reminder, we are going to Israel in January. So if you want to come with us, check out the links in the description uh, to get signed up and find out what we're going to do on the tour and all that good stuff. So without further ado, here is Michael and why the book of Daniel is being attacked. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. And as we're doing our series on Daniel, I want to take a moment. This is going to be a short video lesson here today, but I want to take this one because this is so important. And we're going to do this a little different. Uh, so just bear with me, if you will. But this is this is an important aspect because as I've been researching the artifacts and the archaeology dealing with the book of Daniel over the last several weeks, something has really triggered um, an emotion inside of me on this. And it's this. Why is the book of Daniel so attacked fervently by skeptics and critics? This book, I have found out, has really and is really being attacked constantly by unbelievers. Why? I mean, many books of the Bible, many books, let's all, I mean, let's face it, a lot of skeptics and critics, atheists, agnostics, and stuff, love to criticize the Bible. They love to attack the Bible. But what I have found is no other book it seems like gets attacked like this one. I mean, yes, there's the Genesis because of the creation thing, but that aside, when I'm talking about the whole gospel and, and everything, this book seems to have cornered the market on it. I mean, I've come across, and I've mentioned in some of our uh, videos before in the past, that the number one verse that atheists uh, often, not all atheists, but many atheist websites cite as the number one reason not to believe in God is Jonah chapter one, verse 17, where Jonah is swallowed by the great fish. That aside, the book of Daniel, for some odd reason, seems to be attacked more than anything else. And with, with more excitement from them to attack this book. I mean, they are really into attacking and criticizing this book. And as I've studied this and going back and I've been reading papers all the way back into the second century, written during the second century AD, trying to figure out what in the world's going on here? Why is this book constantly being attacked more than the others? It's, it's been puzzling to me. So I wanted to take just a few moments to explain what I believe has happened and why it has happened. So as I've been doing my research on Daniel um, and it's, it's major prophecies dealing with the Gentile kingdoms that we have and, and then also eschatology, the end time prophecies and stuff like this, I found something that just because of my background in studying scripture for so many decades, um, and reading these papers by, by skeptics and stuff, I came across something that sort of stumbled on it, I think. But I think it sort of fits into this whole thing. It might not be the only reason, but I think this is a major reason. You see, the Old Covenant that we have in our Bibles um, from Genesis to, to Malachi, the Old Covenant or Old Testament, if you prefer, it's based upon what? The Torah, the first five books. You find the Torah, the law, and the law, the teachings, 
just are found throughout the Old Testament books. It becomes the support structure for the Old Covenant. But now you get to the New Covenant. And the New Covenant, of course, we have the four Gospels, then we have the history of the church, then we have Pauline's letters, etc., and it ends with eschatology and the end times. The thing is, all of the things contained in the New Covenant you can find from the book of Daniel. There are so many things that Daniel becomes the fulcrum of the New Testament, the support of the New Testament. Because of that, because the gospel is actually in the book of Daniel, the death and resurrection of Jesus is in the, the book of Daniel. So many things dealing with this that the new covenant being based upon a lot of the book of Daniel now becomes attacked. Daniel describes, in other words, what I'm saying, Daniel describes so many aspects of the Messiah, and we can find reference to it. I think this is the main reason they attack it. Um, let's just name a couple of these. Let me, if you're puzzled by this, and if you've never studied the book of Daniel, let me just show you a couple just really quick here. Uh, just some bullet points dealing with what you find in the book of Daniel pertaining to the Messiah. First of all, the Messiah being called the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. You know, that's in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It gets me because so many times critics and skeptics will come up to me and they'll say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Really? Every single time Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's not talking about that he was the biological son of a person. That's not what he's mentioning. What he's using is a messianic title found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Thus, every single time Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, or the Son of Man says, as he does so frequently in the Gospels, he's claiming to be the Messiah, because that's how we would the Messiah would be called. He's right there. Here's the second one, that the Messiah would be holy. Jesus was holy. He's God. He's going to be holy. You know, that's found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. The time of the Messiah's birth. That's in Daniel chapter 9. How did the wise men know? Daniel was the chief of the Magi, chief of the wise men. And he wrote things down. The wise men, by the time of Jesus' birth, they had these clues from Daniel chapter 9. They were able to figure it out that the Messiah, it was time for the Messiah to be born. They get that from the book of Daniel. How about this one? The death of the Messiah and the resurrection are mentioned also in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Actually, it gets into Daniel chapter 6 too with Daniel and the lion's den. The Messiah would die before the temple would be destroyed. Now, the temple was destroyed in 79 AD. Jesus came before that. That's in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. The Messiah would atone for sins. I mean, this is the basis of the gospel, isn't it? The, the Messiah atones for the sins, the iniquities of man. That's Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So a key aspect for the entire gospel of the new covenant is based right out of Daniel. I mean, how cool is that? No wonder they're attacking this. Or how about this one? The trial, the execution, the raising from the dead of Daniel is paralleled in one of those beautiful stories, Daniel in the lion's den, chapter 6. Wow. Yeah, read chapter 6. Read the story again of Daniel in the lion's den and then think about Jesus being brought up on charges, the whole thing, how Pilate tries to, to get Jesus out. Well, Darius tried to get Daniel out of it. They both put him in the earth, um, put into the ground. They both come out alive. I mean, you see the whole thing. It's, it's beautiful history, yet it's a prophecy of the Messiah. The Messiah would be everlasting. You find that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Messiah would be exalted. 
Daniel again, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel, of course, tells us about what kingdoms would be in place when the Messiah comes. That's in Daniel chapter 2. That would be the Roman Empire. And that is exactly when Jesus came, when the, it was the right time for him. You have so many prophecies all found, particularly in the second half, but all through the book of Daniel dealing with the last days and the last days of the last days, eschatology. The whole story of the beast, um, the Antichrist, if you will, you find that all through or in the latter parts of the book of Daniel. The second coming of the Messiah, when Jesus comes again, when he comes again, is mentioned in the book of Daniel. There are so many things from these, these important pivotal parts of the new covenant. We find the foundation of the gospel. Do you even know that Jesus referred to the book of Daniel in the Olivet Discourse? When he, his he and his disciples had just walked through the temple, and Jesus tells them and prophesies that the temple will not be having one stone upon the other, it just destroys his disciples. They're crushed by this. They thought the temple would be eternal. And they go across, as it says, and climb up on the Mount of Olives, and they sit down, and his disciples ask Jesus, well, what's the signs of your coming again? The Olivet Discourse. It's Matthew chapter 24. And in this passage, Jesus actually refers to the book of Daniel in verse 15. He asked his disciples, what did Daniel say? You see, this is an important book. Christ actually acknowledged that Daniel is a verified, authentic book of prophecy and that it would be historically accurate. Why else would he say this? So if God's endorsing it, not just because it's in the Bible and it is God endorsed, but if Jesus himself endorses this book, who are we to question it then? But it is. And that's what's bothered me. Why are so many people attacking this book? During Jesus' ministry in the first century A.D., the book of Daniel was always perceived as a book of prophecy. It was always viewed as authoritative and historically accurate. That it was written by a guy named Daniel in the 6th century BC. So where do we get this idea today that is so prevalent among skeptics and critics today that Daniel was written somewhere between, say, around 168 BC to the 3rd century AD? Where do we get this? How did this happen? Well, that's what was bothering me. As I've been studying this thing, why do so many uh, papers by skeptics, and yes, I do read stuff like this, why are they constantly going back and attacking this book? And I found out it goes back to about this time period of the third century AD. Up to this time, no one really pro had problems with this book. It was after the third century. That's when we started seeing this. So I'm, uh, because I love history, I went back to try and see what's going on. What happened in the third century um, that started this whole concept of, oh boy, Daniel is not a historical book. It's not a book of prophecy. It's just a false book. It was written later. It wasn't written by Daniel. It was written around 168 or maybe even later than that, uh, B.C. Um, why are they saying stuff like this? Where does it come from? Well, what I have found out is this. It goes back to individuals of a philosoph uh, philosophical um, idea called Neoplatonists. Neoplatonism was founded by an Egyptian philosopher named uh, Plotinus. Now, Plotinus based much of his philosophy on 
Plato. Plato was like his hero. And he wrote a lot and took the philosophy of Plato. And um, as many people did in the Roman Empire, um, matter of fact, in education today, if you study uh, education in the United States, it's Western culture, we study a lot from the Greek philosophy. And we do this. I'm educated in um, in education. I have a degree in education. And so um, I learned through the Greek thing also. Many of our early church fathers, if you study church history, were Platonists. They were taught their education system was based upon a lot of it, the big, uh, the works of uh, Plato, also Aristotle, but a lot of it was based on Plato. So our early church fathers were like this, but then something happened. Something happened during the third century AD. Platonists began to join their beliefs with a group called the Gnostics. Now the Gnostics had altered who Jesus is in their teachings. They had altered a lot of the, the basic gospel um, and what scripture says and how we are saved. They started to change things, even about who Jesus was and about Jesus's life. They started to do this. And by taking this and um, this Platonist uh, philosophy and mating it with scripture, they changed scripture. By the time of the third century, a leader named Pophira, Pophira was a follower of the, um, the Plato idea here, the um, Platonus's career. He, he was a big, um, big follower of him. And he wrote many books on philosophy during this time. This is the period he lived. Um, some of his books have survived. Some haven't in, survived in uh, throughout antiquity, but one of his is the philosophy of oracles he wrote, where he's explaining his, his education and, and what he thinks and stuff. But then he wrote a book called Against the Christians. Against the Christians. Now, in this book, um, Prophyra, really, Prophyri, Prophyri, <laughs> in this book, Prophyri really attacks not just the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant. And he really goes after Daniel. He states that because Daniel is full of prophecy, Prophyri didn't believe in prophecy. He said prophecy, according to his philosophical, philosophical thinking, it, it doesn't take place. Prophecy is impossible. Thus, what he concluded, as he wrote in this against the Christians, what he concludes is this. Daniel was a book of foretelling, not foretelling, foretelling. In other words, these events and stuff were written after the time. Daniel was written many centuries after world events took place. That's why he says it's so accurate, because prophecy doesn't exist. So he concluded that Daniel was written probably, in his view, right after the Maccabean Revolt or during the latter parts of the second century BC, um, before Alexander, uh, before um, the Julius Caesar and Herod the Great and stuff like that, that it was written somewhere just before that time period. Uh, by then, the historical events that we see in Daniel, like for instance, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, those empires had come or were just starting, as in the case with the Romans. This idea continued with many highly educated individuals. And I have talked with many, many individuals today. I have met um, personally and talked with many educated skeptics. I have read their papers, their books on, um, their ideas about Daniel and about the Old and New Covenant themselves. And many of them 
believe that the prophecies that you see in Daniel, the book of Daniel, was not written by Daniel, was written during the time after this, uh, the Maccabean revolt. So skeptics today are going back to what Prophery wrote, that Daniel was written after the fact, during the time just after the Maccabean revolt, that none of these prophecies are really true. Well, the thing is, how does that stack up with archaeology? That Daniel was written way after the fact. And what does this mean? Because you have other books too. And it is interesting. They pick more on Daniel. I mean, Isaiah has prophecies about the Messiah and about the, uh, the death and resurrection and things like this, about the birth. But Daniel has more. It's more of the pivotal book, the fulcrum that the New Covenant is based upon. That's why they attack this book so much. But what we're going to see as we go through the next few lessons here with artifacts and stuff showing uh, how accurate Daniel was and that Daniel um, was a real person that he wrote these things, we're going to show you that Daniel was a remarkable historian and that this book is real. And just as Jesus said and, and confirmed that the book of Daniel was authoritative, we are going to see that also. So thanks for joining me on this. It, little different lesson today, but it was very important that you understand the skeptics and where they're getting their information on this, where it's based upon, because I've traced it back to this idea. And I believe this is probably where it's all started with um, as we've looked at this. So thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this series as we continue now as we get into this with the artifacts. So until we meet again, take care. May God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.